coming up this week, we've got Jimmy Corderas. Okay, now, come on. And I know that you hardcore WWF fans know exactly who I'm talking about. Jimmy was uh, a, a big uh, uh, referee with the WWF for, for years, 22 years that guy was with the WWE. And uh, it's always I always love getting these other perspectives from people who maybe aren't household names, but you figure they spend that much time with the WWE, they've got a lot to talk about. And uh, Jimmy absolutely did in this conversation. What do you say we get to another great conversation here on Primetime with Sean Mooney and hear from Jimmy Corderas? Ding, ding, ding. I have a very special guest this week here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, he's, uh, you know, as, as a lot of employees of the World Wrestling Federation, uh, World uh, Wrestling Entertainment, <laughs> you have to wear a lot of hats to that company. And uh, this is certainly one of those individuals uh, when you come into the business. And I'm really uh, very happy to welcome Jimmy Corderas to uh, PTSM. Jimmy, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been a long time, my friend. Yeah, it has. You know, I was uh, kind of looking at uh, years here, you know, when I was with the WWF from uh, 88 until 93. Uh, I know you started earlier with uh, the uh, the honorable president of uh, the WWF, uh, Jack Tunney, in in, uh, in Canada. But uh, I know you uh, were working pretty much steady from that point on in 87 all the way to 2009. And you had what an amazing career. I mean, that is uh, quite a span. Did you, uh, when you look back, you go, did it seem like it was a blink or do you was did it seem like it was a long time? Um, you know, because I, it, it sounds cliche to say, but because I, you know, I loved it so much, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like it was like 20 plus years. You know what I mean? It just, uh, obviously I don't remember everything that happened and yeah. some stuff I, I, uh, is on purpose. I choose not to remember, but I mean, like every day is not biscuits and gravy, but man, I loved it so much. And, and it, you know, I think back on it and I go, man, time flew. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were uh, able to document it all. Uh, Jimmy uh, has written a book. It's uh, The Three Count, My Life and Stripes as a WWE Referee, uh, Jimmy Corderas. And, and uh, you know, I'm getting quite an education these days about uh, Canadian uh, wrestling and, and uh, you know, how people, uh, you know, uh, participated in the industry. Because, you know, like within the last, I don't know, the last couple of months, and, and um, our producer, Casey Jerome Beck, will back, back me up on this, and we've had... You know, we had uh, Adam uh, Copeland on, and then uh, we just had uh, Santina Morella, uh, Anthony Corelli. And uh, we, I mean, it seemed, you know, it, it made me realize, you know, just going over to the guests, how big a Canadian connection there is to the uh, world of professional wrestling. I mean, it's huge, right? It is huge, and and just the names you mentioned, like Six Degrees of Separation. You know, yeah. Adam wrote the foreword for my book, which was a great honor for me. And and Santino, aka Anthony Corelli, um, yeah. he he does a show up here in Canada with me on Sportsnet, where we yeah. it's basically um, what I would refer to as wrestling's version of the Talking Dead. Which, uh, <laughs> airs, yeah, it, yeah, it's fun. We have a lot of fun with it. It 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 airs weekly up here and. But, and, you know, you mentioned Jack Tunney, who yeah. was president of WWF uh, slash yeah. E for so long. You know, he's Canadian and his right-hand man, Billy Red Lines. But a lot of talent that came from Canada that uh, I don't know if people realize. I mean, there's the obvious ones like Canada's greatest athlete, Iron Mike Sharp. I don't yeah. know if people remember that name. But yeah. no. you know, the, 
it, it was a hotbed up here, not only here in Toronto, Toronto, obviously, Maple Leaf Gardens kind of like the Madison Square Garden North, but, um, you know, there's a rich history coming out of Calgary as well and, and BC, so all across Canada. Well, and they also had, you know, the territory set up that a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I think uh, when they look back at uh, these territories that uh, were eventually taken over by the WWF, uh, WWE, uh, but there were also a number of territories, the same thing up in Canada, where you had, uh, you know, uh, the Hart family, uh, you know, had their organization up there. And then, of course, the Rougeau brothers, uh, the Rougeau family. And I mean, and, and of course, Maple Leaf Wrestling up there with uh, Jack Tunney and his group. But it was just as established as it was in the United States and very strong Absolutely. wrestling. Yeah. I mean, like comparatively speaking, obviously, because. Canada's population nowhere near as as big as the United States, but still, yeah. you can almost compare it to like the old territory days down there, where you know you had Bill Watts in the mid south, and you had uh, Crockett in the east coast, and you know Jim Barnett and Sam Munchnik and all those great territory. Uh, you know Don Owens out in Pacific Northwest. Uh, I would say very similar and uh, very popular up here. I mean, it, you know, uh, wrestling in Canada for some reason always had. A great following. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if uh, that following is still as strong as it was back in the day, but uh, you know, back when I was a youngster watching, it was huge. I mean, I, I remember my first uh, event at ten years old, going to an outdoor stadium show here in Toronto at the old Varsity Stadium, which was headlined by uh, Dory Funk Jr. defending the NWA Championship against the, the original Sheik at Farhat. Wow. Man, uh, yeah, rich in history. And uh, if you know the layout of Canada, folks, you'll kind of know what we're, we're talking about here. How, the, you know, I think people kind of think of Montreal, you know, but they don't understand that there's just, there was just so much, the, the expanse there and uh, all these different organizations. Um, I, I believe you, you grew up in, the, in Toronto and, um, and folks, we're going to be talking about, I mean, Jimmy, uh, one of the most well-known referees uh, in the WWF, along with uh, Timmy White and, of course, uh, uh, the dangerous one, Danny Davis, where these guys are actually personalities. But I want to take you back a little bit further than that, though, uh, Jimmy, before we get into that and uh, talk a little bit about where you came from, how you uh, that, that path that led you to, you know, driving a car for for Jack Tunney, uh, of all things. But uh, give us a little bit of the of how that uh, path was laid out before you. Yeah, um, I mean, like, again, I was a huge fan, so I, they used to run Maple Leaf Gardens up here every three weeks. It was like clockwork, right. and then right. Monday would be Brantford, uh, Ontario te television tapings for uh, Superstars before yeah. going back to Poughkeepsie, New York on Tuesdays for, for Superstars. Uh -huh. And that was that was the regular routine, but I was there every three weeks, uh, but I, one of my hobbies back then was taking pictures, so I'd you know, show up, I'd had what the equivalent, the equivalent of uh, season tickets. Uh -huh. So I would have the same seats every show, second row ringside, right beside, you remember that ramp that used to go from the dressing room to the ring that was level? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Ring height. It was unique for Maple Leaf Gardens was the only place yeah. that I could recall had that at the time. Yeah. But I was right beside that ramp so the boys would walk out and I'd take pictures and I'd get some great shots and I'd come back the next show and I'd sell them. <laughs> you know, Boy, you're entrepreneurial. Uh, how old were you at this point in time? I don't know about 17, 18 when I started doing that. And, uh, okay. and then after about, 
Well, it was fueling my wrestling habit because it was I was making enough money to pay for the film, the development, and actually the tickets and stuff mm. like that. So, and maybe a few bucks on the side. But anyway, uh, I, it was fun. It was a lot of fun doing that. But uh, uh, Jack Tunney's right hand man at the time, Elio Zarlenga, uh, caught me selling the pictures outside and said, uh, basically, "Hey, you can't be doing this. This is copyright infringement and all this stuff." And I'm playing dumb now. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know. But he, he was really cool about it. And then we became friends, kind of. Like, I'd see him at the shows, and eventually he said, hey, you know what, you seem like an all right guy. Let me introduce you to Jack Tunney and see if he's got anything for you, uh, maybe to take pictures for us and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and before we move forward, though, Jimmy, uh, mm-hmm. because a, a lot of the, the people that were big or fans of the WWF only know, really, uh, Jack Tunney as, as this figurehead uh, you know, and he was a, he was great at it. I mean, he was like perfect for that role as president of the WWF, and and he did a great job at it. He was the the perfect person to have at these press conferences, you know, and 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 uh, throw down these uh, you know these rulings. But he was uh, the real deal in Canada. He was very much involved in professional wrestling, and his brother and uh, and that organization up there. So. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that, because I don't think a lot of people realize the the Tunney family and and their uh, their part of professional wrestling and that history there. Yeah, well, uh, it started with his uncle Frank, uh, who right. Frank Tunney, who began Tunney Sports up here in Maple Leaf Wrestling, and right. when the Maple Leaf Gardens opened, and if I'm not mistaken, I know I'm sure somebody will get on Twitter and correct me if I'm wrong, but. <laughs> Maple Leaf Gardens opened in 1931. I believe the first event held there was a wrestling mm-hmm. event. And mm-hmm. it, right before the, the Toronto Maple Leaf hockey team even played there. And I, and Frank Tunney was the promoter. Wow. So, you know, it started back then. And then when, when Frank Tunney passed away, it was just a natural transition that Jack would take over because he had learned the business so well from Frank. And he was so, uh, um, you know, and Frank Tunney and Vince McMahon's father, Vince Senior, Senior, yeah, you know, we're really good. We're really close and good friends, as well as you know, working together in a business capacity. So yeah. you know, there's that natural connection there between Vince Junior and Jack. It almost seemed like a natural for them to be working together. So um, when when WWF began their expansion across the United States and and basically buying up territories, it was only natural for him to move up north. So he struck a deal with Jack and. Jack was basically the promoter up here for the WWF, still yeah. at the time, as well as working as the quote-unquote president. Yeah, and um, at, at the time, and I don't know if you were uh, aware of what was happening uh, at that time, and you certainly are aware of it now, but, you know, folks, when when that happened, uh, and, you know, Vince McMahon had this vision, we all know he was his goal was to basically take over all of these organizations, have them come with him or be pushed aside. And um, it was it was pretty controversial at the time when uh, Jack struck this deal with with uh, Vince McMahon Jr. because it changed everything as far as uh, the territories in Canada went. Um, how big a deal was that back then? Do you remember it being, you know, folks, are, uh, you know, these promoters going, what the hell's going on? And and it did it seem like uh, you know Tunney was kind of uh, you know turning his back on them. Um, at the time, I wasn't realizing it, but you know, yeah. in the later years, I came to realize that 
the promoters up in Canada, everyone from Stu Hart originally before Stu yeah. decided to, you know, jump on the train as well. Yeah. Like all the promoters from Montreal and everywhere were kind of like, man, you know, with Jack signing on, that's, that's a big deal because the uniqueness about Maple Leaf Gardens before they became a WWF territory mm-hmm. uh, was that Jack Tunney would have um, talent from basically all promotions. I mean, we'd have, AWA champion Nick Bockwinkle on the card and, and Bob Backlund would be defending the WWF title on a yeah. card and then the, the NWA champion. So it wasn't just, a, you know, one organization that was feeding the talent for, for the, uh, the shows at Maple Leaf Gardens, they were coming from everywhere. And now with, with Vince taking over the territory, now it's, it changed everything. And, yeah. and, you know, and the other promoters up in Canada, I think they kind of saw the writing on the wall. They were thinking, uh, how do we stop this train? And then they figured there's no stopping this train. Yeah. We better so how do we get on it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it did, it really changed everything. And I, I have to imagine, uh, you know, the WWF was still becoming established then that Tony was taking a, a bit of a chance or people must've seen it that way because he was closing the door on getting a lot of this other talent to come in and work for him. But he saw where uh, the direction that Vince was going, and uh, you know, struck the deal. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and you know, like it's it's it, as everybody knows now, the big gamble that Vince took with Wrestle, the first WrestleMania, yeah. basically more farm uh, to to hope that this thing succeeds. And I think that um, uh, I can't speak for Jack, obviously, you know, yeah. but I think that um, he saw that vision and he saw. Um, the mind, like people could argue all they want from a creative standpoint, whether they like what Vince does or not, but from, right. from a business standpoint and a marketing standpoint and taking uh, the perceptions of pro wrestling in, in mainstream, because uh, let's be honest, it never really had a, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, it, you know, it, a lot of people in mainstream media and in, in the casual fans didn't view wrestling as a highbrow form of entertainment. Yeah. Well, that's, that's something they battled forever. Yeah. They're not going to erase that stigma completely, yeah. but at yeah. least they're trying to lessen it to some degree. And I think, I think Jack saw that as a positive and thought, yeah, you know, I think there, there's an opportunity here for all of us to make some money here. Yeah. And, uh, Unfortunately, it didn't end well uh, in the end, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, let's get back because we got off track here a bit. But I find it fascinating how that all came together. But here you are uh, basically getting a foot in the door. You mentioned uh, Elio Zarlenga and you're driving, I guess you're driving a car for them, picking up talent or whatever, just doing whatever you can. So uh, what did that entail? They bring you in and uh, you're not working in the ring yet. You're just doing what you can, right? No, just what, yeah, exactly. Like you said, just like, Hey, what do you need me to do? Hey, uh, take my car, go out to the, the Marriott by the airport and go pick up Andre the giant. And, uh, and Timmy used to travel with him at the time. So that's how I got familiar with Timmy white, Yeah, you know? So it was like, go pick up, um, Andre and Timmy white and bring him down to the building and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Basically just running errands and doing whatever needed to be done. So did that, is that how it went? I mean, you just kept doing a good job and then more opportunities came or were there these moments of being in the right place and being lucky or how did your progress with that outfit go? I think, I think it was a little bit of both. I think they saw 
uh, you know, not to to do the old pat on the back thing, but they saw that I worked hard because I genuinely liked being around it. You know, I mean, this was this was not only a job; it was really freaking cool. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Look at this. I'm hanging out with Hulk Hogan. And yeah, Ryan. you're going to pick I, up Andre the Giant. Who's you know? That's uh, <laughs> yeah. That's you know, inside. You're losing it, but on the outside, you're trying to look cool, and it's not looking good. But still, you're trying. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, it was almost like, okay, we're going to put you on the ring crew now. And I felt like, well, damn, if I'm on the ring crew, I can't go pick up these guys and kind yeah. of, you know what I But at the same time, it's like, well, that, you know, that's what they want me to do. So I'm going to do it. And, you know, eventually there it morphed into uh, another opportunity, which I have to thank Pat Patterson for, into refereeing. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, that's the way they start with the company, uh, you know, one after another. I mean, Vince even had Shane work the ring crew because that's how you learn the business. And uh, is that what it was like for you? I mean, that, what kind of a window is that into, especially the house shows? It's not necessarily how TV works, but just seeing how this circus travels and how they put it together every night. Yeah, I, uh, that's the part that people don't see is is yeah. the you know the getting there early and setting up and, and making sure that everything is right because you know obviously the first first and foremost you want you know the ring to be safe for everybody you yeah. know i mean accidents happen you know stuff breaks but you know you can minimize those as best you can by just being cautious and and making sure that everything's set up right and then you know guys show up and you start helping them out with little things that they need done whether they're you know going over little things or whatever you know what i mean so yeah. you're the, the one thing I, I always prided myself on was like when stuff like that would happen, I would be that quiet fly on the wall and try to be a sponge and just listen to what people say and try to absorb that and try to process it and try to understand it, not yeah. just hear it, but understand what, okay, Hey, we're going to do this, but, uh, and then try to understand why they're doing certain things. You know, I was trying to learn as much as I could as I went along. Yeah, and as I mentioned when we started the conversation, you know, you wear a lot of hats, and that's that's where it starts. Um, you know, you, you you still be working the ring crew, but and then you're going to be refereeing three or four matches at these house shows, and right? I mean, you're just you do whatever they need you to do. We need you up at concession, you know, <laughs> need you to sell some merch. Done that too. Yeah, I've done it all. I've, yeah. I've ringing out. I've uh, I've done that. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, you know, all of a sudden, you know. Good old, uh, good old chief Jay Strongbow. Uh, he used to call me Jimmy Jam for some reason. Uh, Jimmy Jam, yeah. was, uh, do you have a blazer by any chance? I said, yeah. He says, well, put it on. You're ring announcing tonight. Said, <laughs> you know, like, chief, you know, I've never done this before. Oh, you'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be great here. Just here's the card. You mentioned uh, Pat uh, got you into refereeing. How did that come about? Because I know before you do this, and you certainly have seen, uh, you know, probably thousands of matches at this point. But there is a skill to it. So uh, tell me how it came about. And then, you know, your first time in the ring and you're thrown in there and it's pretty much just stay the F out of the way, right? It, well, it was weird because all of a sudden, you know, Pat, Pat um, was talking to Jack and I happened to be there. And he says, and he just turns to Jack out of the blue and says, uh, hey, Jack, the kid over here, I can't do the Pat uh, accent, but uh, the kid over here. Yeah, you know, the accent, come on. Uh, you must know the French Canadian. Yeah, yeah, hey, hey, you know Jack there, the kid over there. He, you know, yeah, yeah he, <laughs> he'll go nut. Yeah, um, that's you know that's how it's easy to do the, the just get you get rid of the last letter of every word and you're good. It's pretty yeah. much. 
And you mentioned. You I remember Rene Goulet would say, "Yeah, you have this shrimp sandwich. It's excellent to have the shrimp, the shrimp sandwich." You mean a shrimp? Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, got it. Okay, but anyway, uh, you've had hedge on your show as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So he throws. He goes, "Let the kid get the let the kid give him a chance or what?" Hey, today, why don't we, you know, he sit, he sets up the ring, he waits the whole show for the, the, the huh. show to finish, and then he tears down the ring, like, why don't we use him, we'll make him a referee, and then Jack turned to him and said, well, we don't want to smarten the kid up, and Pat, you know, and like, but he's been around here for like a year and a half, well, what do you mean smarten him up, he's in the locker room with the board, so Pat came over and he says, Hello, buy black pants, black sneakers, a blue, baby blue, you know, shirt, and a black bow tie, and, you know, carry it with you, and I thought, all right, cool. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, one of these days, somebody's going to tell me how to do this. But, yeah, but I guess they were waiting for me. got the outfit. Yeah, I had the red. I carried it with me, you know, like a, like a good soldier. You always carry it with you, no matter what. And then just I'm waiting for someone to train me in some form or fashion. But, you know, all of a sudden, one day, again, Chief uh, Jimmy Jam, you got your ref gear with you? Yes, I do, Chief. Just put it on. You're refing tonight. And I must look like a... I just seen a ghost. He goes, "What's the matter? You don't want to ref?" I said, "No, no, absolutely. I'm going to get changed right now." So, went. I'm getting changed, and uh, I had a match with SD Jones, who, thank goodness, I was, you know, really good terms with, really good friend, right. and Jose Luis Rivera, who was wearing a mask as the Red Demon at the time. Oh, okay. So I went to SD and I said, uh, "SD, I'm refing your match tonight." I, he says, "Okay, great." I said, "I've never refereed a match before. Just listen to me. You'll be fine." Yeah. And he talked me through the entire match, and I got through it. I probably looked like a uh, a little bit of a robot going through it, but still, he got me through it. And afterwards, he you know sat me down, and said, you know, next time when this happens, you know, look for this. And he was very great about it. And then, you know, as more shows came along, then guys like Timmy would uh, would and Dave Hebner at the time as well. Yeah, and this was even before Earl joined. You know joined WWF uh, so you know David and uh, Timmy and uh, and Danny Davis you mentioned too as well yeah yeah everybody was so helpful it was unreal so uh you say that no one really trained you so kind of give me the capsule of you know what are you doing there because I, I I've talked to Timmy before I've, I've talked to Danny uh what was your philosophy in the ring uh to be a good ref for a match well, for me, it took a long time to get there. I, yeah. A long time. I mean, it's 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 a long learning, and you're learning all the time. But yeah. um, for me, the art of being a good ref is is so. There's so many different aspects to it. A, you need to be invisible until you need to be visible. Right. Uh, you know, because what you're doing is you're helping the talent tell their story. You're like that. You're like that uh, supporting actor who people will say, hey, I know that guy from somewhere, but I don't know where I know him from. Well, that's yeah. good. Because yeah. you're not supposed to be unless right. an angle like with Danny or something like that where, you know, you're you're a focal point. If you're not a focal point, then you shouldn't be someone that everybody points at. At the same time, you're also helping direct a little traffic. Again, letting them tell their story, but at the same time, helping them facilitate it by uh, relaying a message if somebody wants something done. Uh, a certain way or tell tell so-and-so to do this or tell them to watch the booth or mm-hmm. you know or giving times or something like that just play, basically playing traffic cop and uh the one thing i had trouble learning was not to overreact right. i mean I, don't oversell. Well, you wanna make, yeah you want to make yeah. it look natural because 
um, if the audience is watching it, even if they are paying attention to the referee, which hopefully they're not, but if they look and they look and they say, well, that referee's really intent. It looks like he's really, you know, paying attention. Then he's doing his job. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. If that happens. So, so, you know, uh, back at that, that period of time, uh, I know when I was there and, and for some time after the, uh, referees were often a big part of these matches. Um, that's how many of you became, uh, indirectly known as personalities with the WWF. Um, and, and a lot of people, I'm sure you're asked all the time, um, how you are, uh, let into the match. Uh, I know in many cases, you don't certainly know the entire what's going on, what's going to happen or whatever, but your part is very important. So explain how that dance is, is put together for you with, with your part of it. Um, yeah. What I used to like to do, I know there were, everybody was a little bit different. Like some guys um, would say to the talent, like, you know, just go and get the finish of the match and say something along the lines, like, is there any other spots you need me there for? And that's about it. Um, right. What I would like to do, especially if it was a pay-per-view uh -huh. or something like that, uh, I would go to wh whatever match I was assigned. I would go to them and say, well, are you, when are you guys going to uh, talk over your match? I'd like to be there just to hear you. Oh, guys okay. talk over. Uh -huh. I would sit there more again, just to listen to what their, their game plan is, what they plan to do. And, um, and most it, were pretty know, cool with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, with, actually, yeah. some of them found it a little refreshing and surprising and saying, oh, cool. You want to say, I said, yeah, man, I, I'm not doing anything. I, I'd rather listen to you guys and, you know, know what you guys are doing instead of being surprised out there. And all of a sudden, you guys got some great spot. You guys got set up and I screwed up because I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. You know? Well, in some ways, though, that's interesting because others wanted not to know because then it would be, you know, they for they needed that natural reaction. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Of not knowing, but that's where there were exceptions with the guys were, were very uncomfortable with you being in there or, or not. Not that I could recall. Uh, huh? And if they did, nobody really said anything, but, uh, I think a lot of them were taken aback by the fact that I liked sitting there just listening to it. Huh. And then it took, a, it took a long time, like many, many, many years, uh, before, you know, I was comfortable enough with offering even suggestions for matches. Like, um, you know, like if, if something was going on, like the, uh, um, I'll give big credit to Eddie Guerrero for this because, you know, uh, I'd be sitting there and he'd be going over his match and he'd look over and he goes, what? And I'd be like, what do you mean, what? He yeah. says, I, I see that look in your face. What? I just nothing. I said, just something pop in my head. He says, well, spit it out, man. Like, you know, let's hear it. Mm. You know, and if they liked it, they said, oh, cool. Yeah. OK. And if they didn't like it, they, they'd say, you know, I don't think that would work. So. Um, but you know, he was one of the guys who said, listen, man, if you got an idea, you know, just politely say, Hey, do you mind if I offer a suggestion? And, and nine times out of 10, the guys are cool with it, you know? So, yeah. uh, he helped me like break out of a little bit of a shell that I had where I thought it wasn't my place to say anything. If but you know also I mean, I'm sure like, that, 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 that takes a lot of trust, um, for those, you know, for those guys to bring you into that. So that, that's a, that's quite a compliment that they would, you know trust you enough and know and value what you brought to the match that they would, you know, say, so, Oh, that's got an idea. Awesome. That'll work. Or if it didn't, I'm sure they could say, nah, well, it's not going to work, yeah. but that's still pretty cool that they would even consider it. That's the first time I've it, ever heard that. Yeah, it was, it was a really cool. And, and, <clears throat> and, it, and I found out it was, it wasn't just me. It, uh, guys were starting to get more comfortable doing it. 
Yeah. Uh, because of people like Eddie and, and, and guys like that who are so open to um, suggestions from, from people because in their mind, they're thinking, well, look, you've been here for like 15 years or whatever. You've, you've seen a lot of what goes on here. You've listened. You see, you kind of got an idea. Why wouldn't you have a, why wouldn't I listen to your suggestion? You know, even if it's, even if I don't think it's great, yeah. There's nothing wrong with hearing the suggestion. So, like, it's it's an open mind thing, which was really cool. Now, so once you became a, a part of the rotation, and I don't know, we kind of skipped a, a, a part there where um, how you ended up working basically for the company. Was that just a natural progression, uh, working through the garden and then being at these house shows and then you were, you know, brought in? Yeah, um, there, was a, there was a referee up here in Canada named John Bonello. Mm-hmm. Who who used to work the TVs? He was, um, I guess, I guess he was the Canadian content at the time. <laughs> you right. know, yeah, uh, yeah uh, he had a little situation and couldn't uh, couldn't travel to to the U.S. anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, through his misfortune, ended up being my good fortune because yeah. then I started doing televisions and and it's really crazy because my first TV, which I remember now was in uh, June of 87 in Glens Falls, New York. And at my first TV, and you remember when we used to do like three weeks worth of TVD tapings in one oh, night. Oh, yes. Remember it well. So we get through the first two hours, and then Pat comes up to me and goes, uh, okay, we're going to switch up the order a little bit. Uh, you're going to do the one-man gangs match in the, in the last hour. Uh, get with him, and he'll tell you what he wants you to do. And I said, yeah. okay. And he says, okay, so I'm going to beat this guy with my finish, the 747 front face suplex, and uh, raise my hand, I'll push you out of the way, I'll hit him again, you get in my face, and I'll hook you, and I'll give it to you. Uh-huh. And again, I'm in this situation where like, I've never taken a real bump before, so <laughs> I've, you know. And I said, yeah, why not okay. start with a one-man gang, who was a little yeah. stiff. Yeah. yeah, so I, I said, okay, and he says, don't worry, I says, he says, uh, I'll take care of you, and just turn your head to the side and so you don't land on your nose and stuff like that. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> and, you know, I did that first TV, you know, and I get to the back and Pat looks at me, he goes, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm actually like jacked right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? That okay. adrenaline, right? Yeah, yeah, says, yeah. Okay. okay, just checking. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were on board. Yeah, absolutely. I, now, now, if I wasn't hooked before, after that, it was like, man, I want to do this again. Hit me yeah. again. That's very cool. Uh, so then it just, you know, rack it up. You're working with all these uh, these superstars. Um, did you guys, because at some point, like I said, indirectly, you guys became personalities as well. Uh, did it keep you, did they, did you guys become, is that all you had to do? Like if you were a ref or were you still setting up the ring when you went to these different, uh, I mean, how did it work? Did you, was there a point where you, were elevated to a certain level or you were always part of the crew? Uh, always part of the crew until believe it or not, probably about, I want to say 2005. And, and even then when they wow. said, okay, we're going to, we're, we're just going to have you referee. We're not going to have you on the rink crew anymore. I felt like, nah, man, I, t- I didn't mind doing the crew because, uh, for, for several reasons why a, I didn't mind it. Uh, you also, Stuff like your your trans and your stuff was taken care of when you were part of the crew. Did you get extra money to 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 do the matches, or how did how did that work? Yeah, it was a separate pay. It was a separate pay for refereeing and separate for doing the crew work. Oh, okay. so that's so, cool. So you're getting your double dipping. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't have a problem with that. Absolutely no. not. You know what I mean? And again, the perks that come with being on the crew is, you know, your cards and your, your hotels and all your transits taken care of. So, hey, no problem with me. So, all right. Yeah. So, so in 88, <laughs> I mean, this is moving along pretty quickly here. I mean, you're at WrestleMania. I mean, that's yeah. gigantic. And uh, you're only conscious for a, a short part of it. Can you tell that story? <laughs> what the hell happened? Again, my first WrestleMania, super yeah. stoked. Oh, I my God. Yeah. Trump Plaza, and I'm doing the Intercontinental Championship match with Honky Tonk Man versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And this is, uh, there's a scenario where Brutus gets Honky in, the, in his sleeper, which is his finishing hold. Jimmy Hart jumps up on the apron and I argue with him to get down. And when I turn around, he blasts me in the back with the megaphone and I take a face plant and, you know, they go to the finish. Yeah. Um, now, the rumor out there for a long time was that Jimmy knocked me out with the megaphone, which is not yeah. true. I knocked myself out because as I face planted, I wanted it to look it's, it's WrestleMania. You want to look good. Yeah. Uh, my my chin hit the canvas and I guess it hit that right spot and it just that was it. I was. Really? Yeah, knocked myself out. Um, you know, um, Joey apparently came out and started shaking me and says, Hey, you're supposed to call for the bell now. I don't remember that. And <laughs> the only thing I remember is that Joey and Danny Davis dragging me back. And that was it. Yeah. So you, but you, how long do you think you were out? Uh, I had no idea. I, to be honest with you, I didn't know I was out until <laughs> they told me. You know what I mean? They said, yeah. you're okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why? Said, okay. But <laughs> how many fingers am I holding up? Two. What's wrong with you? You know, oh, you guys man. okay? Yeah. I can't I because I'm trying to remember how they finished that match. You, you're out. Joey, yeah, Joey Morella runs out, right? And yeah. So how did they, how did they finish it? It, it? Basically, Joey called for the disqualification because... <laughs> I wasn't aware to do so. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! Yeah, it's it, it, certainly a, a WrestleMania moment never to be forgotten. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I wish I could remember it, but I no. have to remember it on video now. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jimmy, so so many matches. Um, what are some of the the biggest highlight ones that you? I mean, ones that stand out. There's so many you mentioned in the book, but uh, the. the it, a couple that just really stand out to you because I know you, I'm not, I'm not going to have you on here for long, but uh, I, I tell a few of those. Well, you know, um, man, I, I, I mean like the first Hulk Hogan match I ever worked, believe it or not, was a, was a dark match at TV way back when I want to say it was in California or something against killer Khan. Mm -hmm. And it was like, man, I'm getting to do a Hulk Hogan match here. And, and, you know, and I, and, and, Part of the match was I get Killer Khan used to do the green mist. Yeah. You spray the green mist yeah. and stuff. I, I get misted in the match and, and I, you know, I'm selling the hell out of that at the same time, trying to think this is so cool. I'm getting green mist all over me, not realizing that it's a murder to get off. <laughs> yeah. To that. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I think, I think part of it was a rib on me because, you know, I got to the back and I'm ready to wash this stuff off. It's all over my shirt. It's all over my face. And people are saying, no, 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 no. Just keep it on in case somebody wants to shoot this or someone wants to take pictures or, you know, and at the time, Steve Taylor was the photographer, yeah. you know, they, they just Steve, ribbing you maybe. No, no, no. Leave it on, leave it on, leave it on. And the longer you leave that stuff on, the harder right. it is to get. On. Oh, you know? really? 
Yeah. So by the time I, was, I go to wash it off, I'm like, oh, I'm going to need sandpaper for this stuff. <laughs> Eventually I got it off, but the, the, the shirt was finished. <laughs> How, what that? about some some of the mis, mishaps that happen? And uh, you know, we'll get to, uh, and I, I certainly can't call it a mishap, but uh, to the, the match with Owen. But uh, you know, some of these other matches along the way that because anything can happen. Um, a lot of people don't realize these may be choreographed or whatever you want to say, but these guys are professional athletes. They're basically professional stuntmen, and and things happen all the time. And then you've got a third man in there who's got to be part of this dance as well. Were there uh, any other instances that really stand out to you that, uh, I don't know, where you took a big bump or uh, things that were supposed to happen didn't quite go that way? <laughs> For me personally, I, I remember, you know, I've been fortunate not to get too hurt. I, I mean, like, I remember Kevin Nash one time separating my shoulder on a simple, like, Beal throw where he just like hooks me under my arms and just kind of like tosses me aside and me the idiot I am thinking well I'm going to help him by jumping. There was one time though uh, it was a match with Edge and Shelton Benjamin where okay. they got to the finish. I counted one two and after two um, it felt like something snapped in my thumb like like you know like the rubber band oh, feeling. Like yeah, yeah, and and I counted three but not hard like the other two. So it was kind of like, did he count three? Did he not count three? It's little stuff like that. And then you get to the back and you're like, what the hell happened? And, you know, stupid little things that happen that people don't realize. Everybody, you know, everybody sees the big, uh, like, injuries. Like, for example, what happened to Draws that year, which was terrible. Now, when you had these matches and, and folks have seen, you know, when you guys take a bump where, you you know, you go down, you got you to gotta time that. And I don't know if you guys... Did you, did you work at that? And then that's not something that the boys are, are necessarily concentrating on, but it is a really important part of the finish or whatever's going on then. Uh, how did you prepare for that? I mean, that, that, that because you had to get it right. You couldn't miss something as important to a match if, if involving a finish. So how did you, how did you get that set? Um, it, again, it's, it's all a matter of listening to them and trying to get the timing down. Um, and again, my philosophy for ref bumps are the referee shouldn't bump like the boys bump because they're trained professional wrestlers yeah, and technically yeah. the referee is not. So if I take, if I get hit and I take a flat back bump in my mind, I always tried this. I always tried the philosophy of it has to look awkward and try not to make it look like you're taking a wrestling bump, but at the same time, try not to kill yourself. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right. You got to, <laughs> it's a fine line. Yeah, you don't want to hurt yourself, but at the same time, you want to make it look uh, as un—I don't want to say uncoordinated—as unnatural a wrestling bump as possible. Yeah. To make it look realistic. Yeah. And so, and at and at times it, it you know uh, it, it hurts a little bit, but at the same I, I I don't I can't say that a bump other than the shoulder thing really I got hurt from. So yeah, but the, but that really that really is a, an art. There's a skill to that. Like you said, you can't make it look like you're taking a wrestling bump. It's got to be like this guy just trying to do his job. He gets caught in the middle of something. You got to go down like you'd fall if you're out on the street somewhere. And, exactly. and that isn't easy to pull it off. You got to you have to make it look real, like a natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, sometimes uh, you you have to just let yourself go. Yeah. And not and not think so hard about it. 
I think did some, you take think, did you take many that you where you were knocked out of the ring when you know you'd have to go onto the floor? Uh, a few, a few. I actually, um, again, uh, this this was a, a suggestion of mine. I, I were um, I, I, one of the other things too. I always tried to be creative with ref bumps. If, if uh, some, like again, when I felt more comfortable offering suggestions, um, I, I like to think outside the box. One, I, I, I suggested one time to to Hunter uh, that uh, they would be fighting on the floor, and I would go out to the floor with them. And as they were getting back in the ring. Somebody would hit the ropes on the other side, come charging across, and as I'm getting up on the apron, get knocked off that way. Yeah, you know, stuff like that. Something different. Um, I have been knocked out of the ring uh, through the ropes. Uh, yeah, a few times. Yeah. So again, um, I, I try not to fly through the ropes like somebody would. It's almost like hook a rope and hit the apron and kind of go down. It's almost like a three-part bump. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like what Jimmy Hart would do. Jimmy was really good at that uh, because he, he had the same situation. He couldn't make it look like he was taking a wrestling bump. So, you know, they throw him out. And at that last second, he would be able to, you know, just you know, get his get a hand wrapped around the rope, which would save him from, you know, breaking his neck. But he was really good at that. It had a real, and, and it's the same thing. You have to have that timing. And, uh, and it has to look like, you know, some uh, poor schmuck who just got clobbered, you know, not – not taking a bump. Exactly. That's uh, the, the again uh, my philosophy for that. Just don't look like you're taking a wrestling bump. <laughs> it sounds simple, but uh, you know there, there it is an art form too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I hate to go on a dark note here, but it, this is uh, something I've, I've wanted to ask you for a, a long time. I, I know you were. The referee in that match uh, in May, May 23rd, 1999, uh, the over the edge for uh, the match with uh, Owen, who, uh, you know, I, I know that you worked with him a lot. I, I had a chance to spend a lot of time with him. I thought he was one of the, the nicest people I ever met, and that just in wrestling. I, I really thought he was such a great guy and genuinely uh, fun-loving. And, you know, and as a, a guy that was a big ribber, but, you know, what was different with him, Jimmy, is that they were, they were fun natured, you know, it wasn't like he was, it was mean spirited, you know, and they were, gen God, just so funny the way he, exactly. he did. The, yeah. yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't malicious. It wasn't like uh, locking your bags together or doing anything. Right. Just or razoring your clothes or your pants or something. He just no, was really, it was like, Calling up your hotel room, claiming to be the pizza guy in the lobby, waiting for yeah. you to come get your, you know, stuff like that. It was, uh, uh, you know, if you ever talk to Brett, you know, Brett tells a story about Stu, uh, uh, Owen calling Stu and claiming to be Reggie Parks, who is an old school wrestler and want, and challenging Stu to a fight and, you know, still getting all wired Fair and enough. stuff like that. It, it was, even in the ring, Edge and Christian versus uh, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, we were in Germany and it was a tag match. And we did the old, you know, pulling a foreign object out of his tights and, and hitting Edge with it behind my back and yeah. Edge selling. And we're doing the back and forth where he's passing it to Jeff and I'm checking and Christian's complaining and Edge is selling like he's getting hit with uh, brass knuckles and stuff. And we do, we, we finally get to the end spot where he's got it hide, hidden under his armpit and yeah. I start to make him raise his arm. When he raises his arm, it's a napkin. Edge is telling like he's hitting him with a ton of bricks. And when the napkin's floating to the ground, everybody just broke out laughing. It was like, 
it, he, he's so much fun. He was yeah. so much fun. He really was. And just a, an awesome individual. And and I always uh, – I just thought he, he could have done so much more with the WWF uh, – but, but, you know, with the Blue Blazer, I mean, he was just so talented. I just think it was just a matter of time, I thought, before he would find, like, the what was the right place for him. Because he was so good in the ring. And, and uh, you know, such a gifted athlete, too. And and he could, you know, he had he had it all, I thought. And it's, it's just a damn shame uh, what happened. And uh, taking you back to that day um, and that match, you know, it seemed that... And we see it even today now. They just the, these things that surround the match are just getting get bigger and bigger. And mm-hmm. do you remember at the time? And I don't know how cued in you were to what they were going to do with this. But do you remember thinking like, "Wow, that's uh, that's kind of dangerous," or just that's the way things were being done then, and it wasn't that unusual? Uh, pretty much the latter, because uh, I, you know, at the time, Sting was doing something similar in WCW. Yeah. Uh, repelling from the ceiling and stuff like that. So, um, for me, like, again, personally for me, I couldn't do it because I have this fear of heights. Yeah. So I wouldn't be able to do something like that, but I didn't, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight, Oh yeah, they, they shouldn't have done it. It was dangerous. Yeah. But at the time you're not thinking like that. You're thinking, Oh, here, you know, this is part of the entertainment process of wrestling. And it, it's, it's something that had been done before without incident so you do, you don't you don't think that anything this terrible would happen so uh, you know it, it was just a rough day all around it was a tragic accident that happened and and you know it uh, obviously you know affected a lot of people that day yeah well and and also i mean the wwf all the time i was there Whenever Vince did something, it wasn't like they would go get somebody who really didn't know what they were doing. Uh, you know, I mean, you always felt like they had these true professionals. If they had pyrotechnics or anything, they brought people in that really knew what they were doing. Um, so I'm sure that there was a level of trust there. That, And like you said, it was just a tragic accident. But um, from your perspective, tell, tell me what happened that day uh, see I, I don't know the particulars but from from where i was basically before before that match was to take place uh they had a hardcore match um uh-huh. al snow, i want to say it was al snow and oh boy uh, hardcore holly maybe uh-huh. where they fought all over the place there was like debris in the ring broken tables and stuff like that so um i ran out for the match and, and also was helping him like clear some of the debris from the ring uh, kicking stuff out of the ring, and I was actually working my way towards that corner um, where Owen ultimately fell. And I was holding the top rope, kicking some stuff out, and um, I heard some. You know, they had the um, the promo of the Blue Blazer playing on the screen mm-hmm. on the on Tron. And while we were cleaning up, and all of a sudden, I heard something. Somebody yell. I didn't hear what. I just heard a yell. And in an instant, I felt something brush the side of my head and the top rope snapped out of my hand and snapped back and hit me in the fingers. And, and first thing that came to my mind was, oh my God, the top rope just broke for no reason. Right. Mm -hmm. So I look, I'm I'm looking around and the top rope is there. And then I turn and I see one lying in the ring and I'm like, you know, like I'm, I'm not processing two and two. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? 
you know, and so, you know, I, his eyes were still wide open, but there was no response. And so I just started freaking out and calling Mark at the, at the front gate and at the timekeeper stable, you know, calling for help. And, and that's basically what happened. I, from my standpoint, that's what I saw. That's all I saw, you know, and like, as far as what happened up there, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, it just, uh, and then, uh, you know, they, uh, they had, they had me go along to the hospital just because I was like, I guess in a state of shock, I guess, for lack of a better term, just to make sure that, uh, mentally I was okay, I guess. And I don't, this is the funny part. I, the next day, this was Kansas city. And the next day we were in St. Louis and I still don't remember to this day going from Kansas city to St. Louis. Yeah. It's really? just, yeah. It's just a blur in my mind. I just don't remember it. Uh, I don't remember traveling there. And the next day I, I was talking to uh, Jerry Lawler and Lawler said, uh, he said, you're okay. And I said, you know, as okay as I'm going to be, he says, my God, he says, you don't know how close you came. And I said, close to what? He said, he saw about the last 15, 20 feet of Owen's fall. And the first thing they thought in his mind was uh, that he was going to fall on top of me. And I'm not trying uh -huh. to make this, a, I'm just saying how close this was. And, and he couldn't tell that it, whether it was his arm or what that brushed against the side of my head. And that's what I felt. Wow. He said, if you'd have been a foot over, he said the tragedy would have been a lot worse. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my goodness. And, and, uh, yeah. So like, again, I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm just, you know, but when, when he was falling, you said you was, was he trying, was he yelling, you know, to, to, to get you out of the way or what was, or you don't have any recollection of what that. No, I, I don't remember. I mean, like I said, I heard, I heard some yelling. I don't know what it was. Yeah. Um, told afterwards by people that that's what it was, but mm. you know, I, I'm going by their word. I, I just, I just heard yelling. That was it. Yeah. And, and he, he struck that top rope. Cause that's, um, apparently he landed in the corner. So he, uh, apparently he's that top turnbuckle in the corner, uh, which, which in turn caused the rope to, that's what caused the rope to, to, to like pull out. Yeah, I mean, you often wonder if, if what, like you said, it was a, a matter of feet. If, if he might've landed, you know, in the ring, um, mm. if it might have been a different story because there might've been more give in that floor. Right, uh, but I guess you know you could you could wonder that forever. But just uh, I just remember uh, hearing it that day, and it was I, I can't even imagine what it must have been like at that arena. Um, and the you know the show must go on, and no one really knew what his condition was. I don't believe at that moment or at that point in time. Uh, no, I don't think they did. But God, I. And for weeks beyond that, I, uh, it's just a, a terrible, terrible tragedy. And, and, uh, 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 like I said before, what you think of what that uh, kid's career could have been like, uh, I, I think uh, he would have been as big as Brett. I, I really do. I always thought he was just so talented and, you know, putting the, the capes on them and the feathers and everything. I, I just hoped that okay, at some point they're going to find the right, He's going to find his place, mm -hmm. and uh, I, he just never got that chance. And it's just, uh, it was a tragedy. But uh. I absolutely agree. Uh, you know, from a talent standpoint, he was every good as yeah. Brett was in the ring. And 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 again, not a knock against Brett, but it just seemed like Owen understood, the, got more the 
uh, as we call it sports entertainment nowadays, mm-hmm. he, uh, he got the entertainment side of it as well. You know, Brett seems a little more old school and a little more hesitant to do the, uh, the more overtly, uh, entertainment side of it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, and he was man. he was the natural entertainer too. It was, no question about that. Uh, Jimmy, you worked with so many greats uh, with during your time there. Um, but who were who were some of the of the superstars that uh, not only just you really liked being around, but but working with that were that you liked working in the ring with? Kurt Angle was was amazing. I mentioned Eddie already. Uh, Edge and Christian both were fun. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Wind, Brett. Um, but uh, the the guy, I'm 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 an Undertaker guy. Yeah. I mean, there there is a there is a special aura among uh, around that surrounds him as well. Like you know you you talk about because um, you've been around Vince and Vince has that aura around him whenever you're around him. Yeah. Even even when he's in his uh, jovial friendly mood, yeah. he still has he's still Vince McMahon. Damn it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and even. Undertaker's the same way. I mean, Undertaker, when he's not in the ring and he's away from it, is one of the coolest guys on on earth. But still, it's like, I don't know. He, it, there's just something about the Undertaker that is that is so cool. And 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 I got you know, I uh, got the pleasure to work with him so many times. Andre, yeah. oh my goodness, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage. Oh my god, I, I could I could sit here for like an hour and just start listing names for you. <laughs> So again, I, I can't, I can't again uh, describe how, how cliche this sounds, but how blessed I was to work with all these guys. I mean, like I think back and I go, "Holy cow!" I got to work with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. You know, like yeah. John some Cena. Of the, John Cena, man. Yeah. I mean, like wow, it's amazing. Well, and 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 these people are bigger than you know, larger than life. Uh, to them, and and rightly so, they are. They're these uh, tremendous entertainers, but there's a different side to them. They're they are people. They have families. They've got kids, and they become part of your family. I mean, you you're with them probably more than you are with your own family when you're when you're traveling with the WWE, and uh, you know, and, and they're they're there are these guys that really stand out. They're just great people. There, there's also others that aren't. But I remember when when Mark came in, and uh, you, you often talk about gimmicks, you know, and, and oh yeah, that was a great gimmick. Well, you know, there's a lot. I mean, you could have taken something like the Undertaker and and given it to somebody else, and it could have lasted a couple of months and then just died, uh, <laughs> literally. But mm-hmm. when he, I remember the first time seeing him and take as the when that that was he was the Undertaker, and I was like, whoa, this guy has it there's just this like you said the aura or whatever it was uh i i looked at uh, you know a, a, a couple of matches a few weeks ago one of the saturday night main events and he was in one of these the one of the matches with uh with rick flair and hulk hogan and and seeing him back then and he had kind of had the flair hair you know he had this you know the red hair he didn't have all the tats mm-hmm. and he was you know he hadn't been there long and I, I just really got a kick out of watching him because now you see what he became. But that was just the beginning. But you could see it. I mean, you could just right. feel it, you know. But mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen that over and over again when you bring guys in and they come and go. But there's some that just have it. And you know that they're going to, you know, maybe a few matches in or whatever. And you go, yeah, 
And I'm sure you see, I mean, you were right there. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I saw it. And, and it's funny because I mentioned Kurt Angle earlier. Um, here's a guy who um, wasn't, I guess, a wrestling fan growing up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, came from, and, and it's, it's really difficult. Uh, I don't know if people understand how uh, difficult it is for someone from, from a, uh, an amateur wrestling or a Greco Roman style freestyle wrestling world to, or any combat sport yeah. to do professional wrestling. It's a completely different animal. And here's, he picked it up. Like, you know, like the first time he got in the ring, you, you look at him and you go, I remember the first dark match he did and you went, Holy crap, this guy gets it. Yeah. This guy really gets it. And then he just, excelled and kept getting better and better and it was amazing um so you know there are guys like that there are guys you see um like a stone cold like it's funny with 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 someone like stone cold when he first came to wwf wwe at the time um you knew how good he was but you know it's funny how sometimes with certain characters you have a great gimmick like the undertaker and it fit that perfect person perfectly yeah stone cold was Basically, Austin turned up to twelve. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but it took him a while to find it, and it and it uh, you know where he was to the point where uh, he he saw the the clock ticking and saying, "I'm running out of time here, and I'm sick of listening to people." And that was mm-hmm. basically a shoot when he finally and and same with the with with the Rock, uh, you yeah. know. But once they found it, and that's what I said, I mentioned like Owen, I I I was waiting for that for that to happen, and because I think it would have. Uh, but really it's just amazing. And, and then, like you said, you look back and, and just think about it. I mean, uh, the 22 years you were there, uh, all of these personalities and all these guys you got to know that were, you know, kind of like brothers in a sense. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when you look back at that, you go like, wow, uh, I can't believe that that was me. We got to be a part of all that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Even to this day, I mean, like uh, it's been what, nine years removed from, from that world. And I still, yeah. I'm still keeping contact with some guys, like, uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, uh, when they're in town, I go by and say hello, which is uh, cool. And and when I do, it's, it's, it, what's really cool for me uh, is not, not just seeing the old friends, is seeing some of the guys, the younger guys that I've never met before. And, 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 you know, it's, it's kind of cool when they come up and they know who you are. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? I, I I never expect that. Do you know what I mean? I didn't expect like uh, some like uh, Scott Dawson from the Revival to come up and hey Jimmy, nice to meet you. And I'm like, oh, cool, nice to meet you too. You know? Yeah, uh, but you know, Jimmy, a lot of these they're students of the game. I mean, they really, uh, you know, they know every part of it. There's so many of these guys that you know, grew up loving professional wrestling, and they were watching it. They were watching these matches when you're in the ring. So yeah, that's. I'm sure it's flattering, but, uh, you know, these guys, it's not surprising, I should say, because a lot of these guys, they came up loving the product and you were a big part of it. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's humbling too, at the same time. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, oh, that's very nice. You know, it's, it's very cool. And then, it, then all of a sudden you see Tony Chimmel and you're back down to reality. We traveled together for a long time, uh, with Kyoto. And yep. uh, and uh, Larry the trainer, so it, that was kind of like our basic uh, car <laughs> for, yeah. for a lot of things. And, uh, yeah, so he he he's basically my Al Snow. I'm I'm if I was Mick Foley, he'd be my Al Snow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you left it in 2009, and uh, you get into broadcasting. Like, how did how did that happen? Hey, we go from we did you do that 
prior to that in your spare time? <laughs> or how did that come about? Because I know that you, uh, you're a part of that world now. Yeah. Um, well, basically what happened is uh, after I left WWE, I took some time off uh, really to just decompress and reacquaint myself with my wife. Introduce everybody, <laughs> and, yeah. And then uh, I, I'm thinking, what? I've got to do something now. Um, you know, can't just uh, re retire. I got to do something. And I, I always was interested in broadcasting, so I took one of those courses. I took a short course in broadcasting, and and I befriend, uh, became friends with uh, Arda Ocal, who was working at the Score Television Network at the time. Uh, he later on went on to WWE to become Kyle Edwards. Mm -hmm. um, so. Um, you know, we became friends and, and he said, Hey, I got, uh, he had an, uh, a radio show on Monday nights called right after wrestling. And uh -huh. it was run right after raw and it was broadcast on XM satellite radio. And he said, you know, uh, can we do a segment with you called ask the ref where we'll do, you know, we'll ask you a random question and one week it'll be serious. And one week it'll be just tongue in cheek and have fun. Uh -huh. And, and I said, yeah, that, you know, it was a weekly segment. We just did it. It was like, couple of minutes and that was it and his co-host got moved out of that position because he ended up going on to produce another show so he said can you come in one week and just guest host for a week i said yeah i'd love to another so opportunity in, yeah so i went in and we did the show had a lot of fun you know and he said can you come back next week i said yeah i, I mean it, will this lead to something he says yeah hopefully it will and it led to a you know a permanent spot on on that radio show until the radio show went away and then became a podcast and then it became a TV show. Um, and, and now the, the TV show is still continuing to this day, which I referred to earlier as the talking dead of wrestling called yeah. aftermath up in Canada, which I do with, uh, with uh, the former Santino Morella, uh, Nug Nargang, who is a, an improv comic and our host is Caroline Sved, who is um, uh, keeping us boys in line. Yeah. So how, how could uh, someone catch this? How, how, how can we uh, tune in to see the show? Um, as of right now, I don't know if it's geoblock, but it's available on YouTube on, uh, on the sportsnet.ca uh, website. But I don't know if it's just available in Canada or not. But it's yeah. on every Tuesday night at 7.30 on Sportsnet 360 here in Canada. And it's the lead into SmackDown. Because uh, Sportsnet, which is a uh, Rogers um, Communications is the broadcast partner of the WWE up here in Canada. They broadcast yeah. all their and also uh, handle the distribution of the WWE network up here in Canada. So they are a business partner. And uh, so basically we're kind of like doing a show. Um, not It's not under the WWE umbrella, but it's under the partner's umbrella. Yeah, you're still connected, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah, well, this uh, you're still part of this business and uh, will be forever. Uh, folks, also, uh, Jimmy's got a a book out uh, called The Three Count, My Life in Stripes as a WWE referee. I know you can still get it on Amazon, uh, but uh, I'm, I imagine there's other outlets as well, Jimmy, to get uh, get your book. It's still out there. Yeah, but I think Amazon is probably the easiest and most efficient place to get it, that's for sure, <laughs> but yeah. unless you go to ecwpress.com. Okay, very cool. Uh, and also, do you have uh, an email? Somebody wanted to drop you an email. I don't know if you're on Twitter or yeah, uh, I'm I'm on Twitter at Jimmy Corderas. Instagram is at Real Jimmy Corderas, and uh, uh, also on Facebook, it's former WWE referee Jimmy Corderas. If somebody wants to hit me up, just DM me, shoot me a message on Facebook, whatever. That's cool. 
Yeah. Well, Jimmy, uh, it's been a pleasure. And I'll tell you, I mean, I always respected you guys so much because uh, it, it's not an easy job. And the best at it, like you said, are the ones you really don't notice in there uh, until you need to. And uh, you were certainly one of the greats who were able to do that along with that uh, other core of uh, professionals. But uh, it's, it's great. It's been great having you on primetime. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was good catching up. All right, Jimmy, take care. All right, take care, Sean.